As Earth Keepers, we hold wisdom about our planet within our bodies learned through lifetimes of experience on Earth and throughout the cosmos. I'm Amy Dempster, a shamanic practitioner and your host for the Earth Keepers podcast, and I'm on a journey to reconnect with my soul family, the other Earth Keepers, grid workers, portal tenders, land stewards, and nature lovers around the world. On this podcast, you won't find gurus or dogma, just a safe space where I share personal stories from my spiritual journey. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Earth Keepers podcast. This week, I want to continue on the theme I've been talking about over the past few weeks. I've been doing a bit of a deep dive on doing healing work with the earth, what it looks like and how easy it can be. If you've missed the last two episodes, go back and listen to them to hear all of the details up to now. Today, my guides wanted me to share a story about an experience I had in the fall of 2016. I was still fairly new to doing energy work with the land and was learning one interaction at a time with my guides. They would show me something, I'd be a little confused and ask some questions, they'd show me again, then I'd do it. And they would jump up and down and clap their hands, excited that I'd figure it out. Honestly, that's how I first learned how easily some of this work can be accomplished. One of the first times my Bigfoot guide actually worked with me, rather than just showing up in a shamanic journey and standing somewhere nearby, she handed me three symbols, a square, a triangle, and a circle, and then asked me to place them in specific places along the mountain range near where I live. At first, I was confused. Did I need to go to these places? And she would laugh at me and say, No, you just need to energetically visit that place and put the symbol there. What happens when I place these symbols in these areas, I asked her. It balances the energy, she said. I didn't totally know what that meant or how exactly that would be accomplished, but I trusted her and followed her instructions. I would bring each place up in my mind's eye and then imagine myself placing each symbol in each location. And then I checked back in with my Bigfoot guide. Is that it? Yep, you did it. Good job. Okay, well, that was easy. Obviously, the tasks have gotten increasingly more complex and aren't always quite as simple. But the work can leave me energetically very exhausted. Because even if you're doing your best to be what shamans call a hollow bone for source energy to move through... The fact remains that you're sometimes moving massive amounts of energy through your body in a short amount of linear time. So it's okay to sometimes need a nap afterwards. But often, the work is very simple. And it's possible you're not even totally aware that you're doing energy work in your day-to-day life. Just like your energy naturally interacts with and affects other people you come in contact with, the same thing happens with the land. And on occasion, you'll be sent on some very specific errands when your energy is needed in a given area. A few years ago, I kept having reasons to drive from my home in northwest Montana to the Salt Lake City area in Utah, up and down I-15, back and forth on each visit. And then, two years ago, 
I was trying to make some arrangements to fly into Las Vegas to meet up with my friend Amr to do some energy work in the desert. I shared that story on episode 16. However, I kept having issues finding flights that would work with my schedule or were affordable. For a week or two, I kept checking and finally realized there must be more to the story. How could I not find these flights for these dates? So I tuned in and asked my guides. It was a two-part answer. First, they didn't want me going to Las Vegas proper on this trip. The energy was just too overwhelming there. They only wanted me to go to Mesquite, about an hour outside of Vegas. But secondly, and more importantly, they didn't want me to fly at all. They asked me to drive so that I could help activate the energy along this specific energy corridor. A corridor of light, they called it. There was nothing specific I had to do. It would happen naturally as I traveled this grid line, which just so happens to be I-15 from Butte, Montana, all the way through Idaho, Utah, and Nevada. I had a lot of other unusual experiences on that trip, which I shared about in episode 11, but what was happening subtly in the background was this energy exchange to help activate this grid line in some way. Only a few months after that, I was pulled back to that I-15 corridor yet again, this time by my ancestors who wanted me to help them cut their cords to the Mormon church. On that trip, it was shown to me that this grid line had been tampered with over the years. The energy needed to be realigned to its proper location, and part of that work was being accomplished each time I drove up and down the interstate, which followed the grid line. Whether I was conscious of it or not, I was assisting with this work just by being there. What's funny is that since that trip, after assisting my ancestors and working with the grid lines, I haven't had a need to go back. After four or five trips in two years, I haven't had a single reason to drive down that corridor for a year and a half. So it seems my work there is done for now. And I'd completely forgotten about this corridor of light and this explanation of sharing energy by traveling over a grid until two weeks ago. I was back in central Montana for the second time in a month. My husband does rally cross car racing, and there are monthly races there all winter long. After making the trip for the first time in December, I was captivated by the canyon just outside of the town of Cascade, Montana. It's a narrow spot where the Missouri River cuts through towering mountains absolutely full of towering stones. The ancient energy is strong there, and after my first visit, I started seeing a specific megalithic stone structure in my meditations that's not too far from this area. It's two stones standing together vertically with a horizontal stone placed on top. Every time I see it, the stones open up flat and I'm standing on top of them. But no other details were coming through. A few days later, I was listening to Sarah Petruno's monthly new moon healing that I subscribe to, and right in the middle of her drumming, she received information that the healing was related to other lives in Atlantis and Lemuria, and we were to ask to be shown what it was we did in that life. Suddenly, I was back at the megalith again, this time receiving the message that I somehow translate information from these large stones. The next day, as I was doing the meditation from a New Earth crystal class I've been taking, 
we were connecting with Atlantean crystals on the inner earth planes, and I was taken to the crystal beds in Arkansas. After connecting with the master crystal there, I was suddenly back at the megalith yet again, with my arms full of smaller crystals. I was told that I was to help facilitate the translation and transfer of information from the large stones into the small stones, and then plant the small stones in a variety of locations to allow the wisdom to be shared with the earth and humans. Whoa. Again, I wasn't sure if I needed to do this work energetically or in the physical. And since I had another trip planned for the area in the coming weeks, I thought maybe a physical visit would be in order. But as I tried to plan the details, nothing was coming together. The megalithic complex wasn't possible to reach in the winter months. One of the ancient petroglyph sites was closed due to a recent rock slide. Another one had been irreparably damaged by graffiti. And a third location was only accessible by boat in the summer months. It was clear that this wasn't what I was supposed to do on this trip. So I gave up on making plans and figured I'd just tag along to watch my husband's races. We made the four-hour drive over the Continental Divide and into central Montana, and I was excited to find out that our Airbnb was more or less snuggled right up to the beautiful canyon walls. I could see these ancient beings from every room in the house. So on our first morning there, I took some time to tune into the energy of the mountains and ask if there was anything they'd like my assistance with. The spirit that came to speak to me was very friendly. He looked a bit like the thing from the Fantastic Four. Like a giant being made of rocks. He didn't have too much to chat about, which is pretty common with mountain spirits. He told me they would love to have somebody to work with, but that I didn't have the time to spend with them to really form the partnership they would like. So I thanked him for his time and got on with my day. As a side note, if you live somewhere in this area between Helena and Great Falls and are feeling drawn to work with this canyon, the spirits there are waiting for you. In the meanwhile, I finished getting dressed, making lunches, packed up our truck, and headed out to meet up with my husband at the race that had started earlier in the morning. As I drove further north on the interstate, I passed by one particular rock formation and was instantly overcome with grief. It hit me out of nowhere, and I felt like I wanted to cry for about five minutes until I finished passing through this particular area. I noticed there was a parking area with a trail nearby, so I made a note of the exit and decided to come back and explore later in the afternoon. Perhaps there was some work here for me. But as soon as I arrived at the race, it was clear that I would be doing something else for the rest of the afternoon. My husband had the hood up on his car and he was waving me over. The alternator was going out on his race car and he needed me to run out and pick up a replacement so he could get the car back to where we were staying at the end of the day. After a few phone calls, we located one in Great Falls, which was about a 30-mile drive north. I hopped back in the truck and made the drive, only to find out when I arrived that the part wasn't for the right year car. Five or six phone calls later, it turned out there was only one place that had the right alternator anywhere. And it was 90 miles in the opposite direction, in Helena. So I got back in the truck and headed south. I would typically find a situation like this pretty annoying, but the whole thing felt a bit amusing to me for some reason. So while I was driving, I asked my guides what was really going on. Why am I being sent back and forth through this canyon so many times today? 
and they showed me. It was exactly like those trips down I-15 through southern Montana, Idaho, and Utah. I was helping to activate this energetic grit. And here I was, two years later, on the exact same interstate, the exact same energetic grid line. Except this time I was working the area further north than I'd been before. With this little errand to retrieve an alternator, I had driven through this canyon a total of four times in one day. From south of Cascade, north to Great Falls, then Great Falls, back through Cascade, all the way to Helena, 90 miles south. Then 60 miles back again to Cascade to drop off the alternator before driving 20 miles south again to get back to our Airbnb. I drove over 200 miles in four hours. And on the long stretch from Helena back to Cascade, I could feel my palm chakras heating up. The energy was flowing through so strong to be shared with this area. Once I realized what was happening, I had to laugh. For all my research and planning and talking to the spirits and just hitting one dead end after another, they got me to do exactly what they needed me to do. There's no way I would have just decided to cover that much ground on my own. I would have picked one or two areas to focus on that were nearby. The only way to get me to work that grid line was to create an urgent errand. And they definitely created it because after all my driving around, when I got to the auto zone in Helena and had them test the alternator that wasn't working, the test showed it was still perfectly fine. This totally confused my husband, who had me go ahead and also buy a battery, just in case that was the issue instead. After installing everything in the car and still getting the battery light, he started chasing wires and found the actual issue. A loose, corroded wire. Yep, not the alternator I just spent the afternoon trying to find. Very funny, spirit. But honestly, it was a great use of the time I did have, since. They didn't think I had the time to do any deeper work. I looked on a map when I got back home, and there's now only a 100-mile stretch of I-15 that I haven't traveled in the last few years, between Great Falls and the Canadian border. Should we take bets on how long it'll be before I have some odd reason to visit Shelby or Conrad? But this is another great example of how easy energy work can be. All I had to do was drive up and down the interstate. It allowed for an energy exchange between myself and the grids. Now, what's interesting about this grid line is that it's related to what might also be called a rose line. Are rose lines a real thing or just a piece of fiction from the Da Vinci Code novel? If you Google that question, you'll get all kinds of conflicting information. So who knows? But Here is some interesting information I read in a book called The Templar Meridians, The Secret Mapping of the New World. A rose line is another term for a ley line. And in Europe especially, we find ancient stone circles, megaliths, dolmens, earthworks, mounds, holy wells, and many chapels lined up across vast landscapes along very specific energetic lines. A rose line, or even the words or names, Rosalind or Rosalind, are said to symbolize the bloodline of Jesus and Mary Magdalene, thus the Magdalene's association with the rose. 
Supposedly, the Knights Templar discovered documents following the First Crusade in Jerusalem that showed the ancestral line from Jesus and Mary Magdalene going directly to the St. Clairs, or Sinclairs, of Scotland, who were at that time the royal family of Britain. They may have also discovered the secrets of establishing latitudinal and longitudinal positions hundreds of years before it became standard practice. Anyone possessing this knowledge would have been able to access the limitless supply of precious metals in the New World, including copper, gold, and titanium. It would explain how the Templars discovered or developed such advanced weaponry and incredible military strength during the Crusades. It would also explain how the Templars, who had been so loved and supported by the Catholic Church for generations, suddenly came under attack by the Church, who would have been threatened by their ability to acquire unlimited material wealth, along with the opportunity to establish a new world free from the oppressive control of Church and state. So when the Templars were in danger of being wiped out, they may have sent much of this information and many relics to the New World with Prince Henry Sinclair via Nova Scotia, aka New Scotland. So perhaps the Templar refugees buried their treasure in the New World, or perhaps the actual treasure is the knowledge to read and create maps that would lead someone to find riches naturally held in the earth. Either way, the information has been used and passed along for hundreds of years since, most likely through the Masonic lodges that originated with Scottish royalty. Even Lewis and Clark were sent specifically to the mouth of the Missouri River, which just so happens to be between Helena and Great Falls, Montana, with instructions to look for Welsh-speaking Indians. So it seemed that even at that time, there was some lore about the existence of European descendants who had immigrated into the New World and made their way out west many generations earlier. Prince Henry Sinclair would have used this ancient mapping knowledge to locate the rose lines in North America. Think of all of the lines originating in the North Pole and running south in a triangle-shaped pattern you'll find a line every eight degrees across the United States. One of those lines just so happens to align closely to the placement of Interstate 15 that I have been driving up and down. The longitude 111 degrees, 57 minutes west, is just past the Great Falls of the Missouri River, thus the name of the city, and is the source of the Missouri and Yellowstone Rivers, which originate in the Big Belt Mountains. These mountains hold significant deposits of coal, iron, gold, silver, copper, and a variety of other rare and precious metals, including platinum. If you follow this line south, you can see how there was some knowledge of this energy line prior to European settlement, as important settlements occurred right along this line. The Mormon Temple Square in Salt Lake City sits directly on top of it. And interestingly, Brigham Young, the Mormon's leader, declared he would make their settlement, quote, a rose in the desert. Tempe, Arizona, is situated on this line, and it also bisects the eastern edge of the Grand Canyon. Oak Creek Canyon in Sedona 
and the Four Corners Medicine Wheel. It also occurred to me that there is an enormous Catholic cathedral that was built in the city of Helena in the early 1900s. It's such a strange sight to see, and imagine a giant Gothic cathedral in the wild west of Montana. The cathedral is dedicated to St. Helena, who is said to have discovered Jesus's cross during a pilgrimage to the Holy Land in 326 AD. So yeah, it's obviously an important energetic line. And I have no doubt if you trace the other lines in other locations, you'd find similarities. And one more random connection. It was the Knights Templar who popularized what came to be known as Gothic architecture in the churches they constructed. Perhaps with this ancient map knowledge somehow spelled out in the sacred geometry of the spaces. So it actually makes perfect sense to place a Gothic cathedral right on a rose line and dedicate it to a Catholic saint. And I'll bet if you were a Freemason in the 1800s, you knew that, even if you lived way out west in Montana. What I find even more interesting is that just to the west of this line, outside of Helena, a large grouping of ancient stone megaliths have been discovered. And by discovered, I mean that the indigenous people who were well aware of them, but have only recently begun to share the details publicly. The stone structures and complexes were most certainly created by the same people or beings who had the technology to create the pyramids and large stone circles in other parts of the world. So I wonder if these were the actual original stonemasons, the ones using vibration, frequency, and sacred geometry to work with stones, not picks and hammers. And it's that ancient knowledge that's been passed down in the Masonic organizations. According to Masonic tradition, there is a secret rose location between Great Falls and Helena at the base of the foothills of the Great Western Rockies, where the Key of Solomon can be found. The Key of Solomon grants to its possessor all of the ancient wisdom and complete knowledge of all of the arts and sciences, including all things magical. So is this Key of Solomon an actual buried treasure from the Knights Templar right here in Montana? Doubtful. Because as much fun as it would be to go on a treasure hunt, most of this work happens not in the physical, but on the energetic planes. While it's entertaining to learn about the history and put bits and pieces back together to give us some context, my guides have told me time and again that the past isn't what matters. We don't actually need to know what happened and how these situations came to be. We don't need to trek to the mountains with a metal detector and a shovel. Honestly, most of the secrets of the universe are right at our fingertips now in a way they never have been before in human history. So when I got home and asked my guides to tell me more about this rose line and what I needed to know about my interactions with it, they said that it's in our seeking that knowledge is revealed to us. Someone else can teach us basic skills to understand how to do this work, but it's when we go out into the world, follow our own messages, clues, and signs that we find our way to the truth, our truth which can only be found by each of us for ourselves. There's no one person who possesses a single truth, they said. 
we need to release the idea of digging for buried treasure in the earth because the treasure we seek is within us. Well, isn't that the truth? My guides didn't say so, but I'm guessing this Key of Solomon is a very multi-dimensional book of knowledge, not a written guidebook. And when I asked more about why I keep getting called back to work with this grid, they said that the Earth's grid lines have been used, misunderstood, and manipulated for other purposes for many years. They do hold wisdom for us, but the wisdom is unique to each of us. The ancient people understood this, but over time, there were people who corrupted the energy with other information they wanted to spread through these energetic lines. They moved them, redirected them, and imprinted them with other information, which I've certainly found in working with grids again and again. I was told that those of us working with the grids hold some of the ancient wisdom about them, but more importantly, at this moment in time, we also hold the codes of new earth within us. When we travel these grid lines, we're helping the grids to remember. We're helping them release generations of false coding and misuse and return them to their zero point, which is their original state, a field of divine love. Once the old is released, they can then receive the new plasma light codes that are flooding into the earth at this time. These 11th and 12th dimension codes are being beamed into the crystalline earth grid and specifically into the Atlantean and Lemurian crystals. They're also helping us form our new crystalline light bodies. This is how we're building new earth. So keep that in mind the next time you're sent on a ridiculous errand. You may actually be carrying out a very important job as an architect of our new 5D reality. Nice work, everybody. Oh, and as a side note, because I find it all so fascinating, the Sinclair family lost the English throne in the late 1600s when there was a power struggle between the Catholics and the Protestants, the latter ultimately winning that fight through a series of marriages and successions to the throne. If you've been binge-watching Outlander lately like I have, you'll know that's the basis for the first season or two the failed Jacobite uprising by the Highland Scots to put a Catholic king back on the throne. What's funny is that Princess Diana was a direct descendant of this hereditary bloodline that links back to Jesus and Mary Magdalene. So, if and when the current Prince William ascends to the British throne, the holy bloodline will once again reign. Although... Who exactly sits on the throne today is not nearly as important on the world stage as it was 400 years ago. I do find the symbolism of a descendant of Jesus and Mary Magdalene stepping into power in this particular point in time especially beautiful. Yet another outward example of the divine masculine and divine feminine coming back into power. Okay. That is more than enough to make your head spin for this week's episode. If you find that all of this information lights you up, I would absolutely love to have you join us in the Earth Tenders Academy, where I teach you the basic skills and then you follow your own guidance to find your own magic and power. The Earth Tenders Academy is my nine module online course where I walk you step by step through learning how to do energy work with the land getting to know your own ancient ancestors, 
meeting the spirits of the land where you live, and expanding into all of the multidimensional versions of yourself throughout space and time. I share way more details and information on doing healing work with the land. You can ask questions in our private Facebook community and on our monthly Q&A calls where there is a wealth of knowledge and experience. Plus, you'll get to practice your actual reading and healing skills on a property that belongs to someone in the group every month. The link to join is in the show notes, so go check it out and feel free to message me if you have any questions. That's it for this week's episode. I will see you back here next Tuesday. Thank you, thank you from the bottom of my heart for listening to the Earth Keepers podcast. I'm so honored to share this journey with you. I would love it if you join me and other Earth Keepers from around the world in the Following Hawks Earth Keepers community on Facebook. To find the show notes, additional resources, or learn more about working with me, go to earthkeeperspodcast.com. Until next time, I'll see you in the multiverse.